0: I don't consult experts. I do a lot of reading on the internet because I'm not trying to teach somebody how to pick a lock. I need to know just enough about it to make sure that I'm not saying something stupid and then move on because otherwise it turns into the anarchist cookbook or something. Taylor Stevens, the New York Times bestselling and award-winning author of the kick-ass Vanessa Michael Monroe thrillers, and this is the Taylor Stevens Show with my good friend Steve Campbell, where we are kicking writing in the butt one word at a time. And before Steve gets into his <laughs> 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 deal, it from him um, a couple weeks back, we were going over his short story and building out the ideas for it, and. I want to know, Steve, we haven't, I haven't heard anything about it. What, where are you? What did you do with all that information?
1: Well, I I took the information that you gave me and I used it to update the intro material that I sent to the editors of the collection, but I haven't done anything since then. And I don't intend to, because right now I'm in the process of finishing up the first Reggie book. It's, it's, Entirely done, except the first draft is entirely done, except for a, a rewrite of the ending based on some things that have changed. And so, right now, I'm going through chapter by chapter by chapter, making sure that the story makes sense. Then, I'm sending it to you so that you can look at it and make sure that the story makes sense. And when I understand that the story makes sense, as it's written, then I'll go in and flesh out the ending. But I know how it ends. I just need to make sure that I didn't mess anything up in getting to the ending. So that's, that's what I'm working on. Then after that, I'm going to do the outline for the next Reggie book. After the outline is done, then I'm going to write the short story, which will be sometime in May. And it's due June 1st. And the, the, the collection will probably be released sometime in early June.
0: You are... I- I would be terrified if I did that. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be like, I gotta get this done. Uh, yeah, I, you're amazing in that. That's awesome. That you, confident man there.
1: Well, um, yes, foolhardy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> when, when you were talking about using the information that I sent back to you, you're talking about the, um, the opening that you had written that I worked over and put on the notes on Patreon, right?
1: Yes, and okay. if, any, if, if you guys haven't seen that yet, that was, that was absolutely awesome. First, you did a great job of, of splicing together all of that information, but the explanations – I actually found myself talking back to you while I was watching the video, <laughs> and I had, I had taken the information that you sent me because I, I was on a deadline. We recorded the show on the 30th. I wrote that intro on the 30th. You sent me back your comments that night. I updated the intro and set it off on the 31st. And then it was like a week later, I think, before you did the video. And so it, it, in that case, there were some things that I didn't consider. But it was fascinating to me, uh, on on from one respect, to read the comments. I felt like I understood what you were saying. But then when you talked through why you pointed these things out and why you made the comments, it made a lot more sense. So really, really good viewing for authors out there who are interested in that kind of thing. And it's, it's all, you know, for, I I think we wound up or I wound up with like 600 words for the intro. So it's a lot of, uh, a lot of massaging in, and explanation in the, in the 600 words. It
0: was, it was fun for me and very different. It was the first time I'd ever done like a, what do they call it? Like a video cast or something where you're recording, screencast, you're Mm -hmm. recording your screen. And I found like, I, I do a lot of emails, right? And we do the podcast, but there's something about being able to actually show what you're talking about and have, I guess, like, I didn't really see it, but Steve was telling me that you know because I have my face up in the corner and you can see what I'm doing, my facial expressions and oh, it I makes all it
1: makes all the difference in the world as opposed to just seeing the screen and seeing the cursor moving across. To be able to see the hand gestures you're making and the facial, you know, because sometimes you'd look at something and you'd do like a little eye roll or something. <laughs> <laughs> but as, as you're explaining things, and it, it really adds a lot to the explanation. I just got so much more out of. Out of that, being able to hear you and see you while you were talking, and it, it was very engaging. It really drew me in, even though I, I knew basically what you were saying ahead of time.
0: It took me a while to do longer than I wanted to do it, because it's a learning curve for me. I'd never done it before. There were just so many things to figure out for the first time in terms of the, the technical aspects of it. But even still, counting for all of that, it's like you can communicate so much more and, and more clearly than you can in trying to actually write it out as if it was um, an email or a lesson plan or something like that. So I'm really hoping to be able to do more of those because it was, I, I think, I mean, it was fun for me, but it was also, I think, probably more beneficial to the audience than it would be if I'm trying to explain it without, well, even trying to explain it in a podcast. So yeah i 'm definitely planning to do more of those
1: and one of the great things about that both podcasting and the screencasting that you were doing is as opposed to writing is you 're a writer, you have a reputation as a writer, so Everything needs to be maybe not perfect, but it needs to be pretty good. You can't have really obvious, stupid typos in the things that you write. Uh, but when you're talking, you're just talking. And, you know, we I all know. we all stumble over words and we all get the words wrong and you just kind of go, oh, yeah, you know what I mean. And you move on.
0: I know. And this is something that people might not know about me. But like even writing an email to my kid's orthodontist <laughs> takes me like 30 <laughs> minutes, especially if I have questions or something, because Clarity is so important to me, and I know how easy it is for things to get misconstrued when they're put in text, and I don't want to waste their time, so I guess I end up wasting my time. I don't know. But even writing a stupid email is going to take me 30 minutes. When I put together an email for my newsletter, that's a day. It takes me a day to get it right. Wow. So by contrast, video casting, screencasting, it rocks.
1: It's the new way.
0: <laughs> oh, God. Yes, dragging me into the
1: modern era. All right. So, we have user questions today. We have a couple of them. They're both great. So, let's get right to it.
0: Today, we're going to start with a softball question, not as in the game, but in um, an easy question or an interesting question. It's not a writer question. And it's from Larry, who says, I've wondered more than once what with the ever-changing ever technology, if there are occasions when Monroe and her associates are using or encountering security and other techie type things, when you might feel inclined to check with an expert, and if so, whether they are reluctant to reveal ways to defeat an alarm or bypass a system or such thing. And I have a really funny story to go with that uh, answer, or maybe fun is actually the correct word. And before I get into that story, uh, in general, I don't consult experts. I do a lot of reading on the Internet because I'm not trying to teach somebody how to pick a lock or how to do this technical thing. I need to know just enough about it to make sure that I'm not saying something stupid and then move on, because otherwise it turns into, you know, the anarchist cookbook or something. (laughs) And I just that's not the purpose of the story. The purpose is to establish that. The characters have the skills to pull it off, establish what it is they did, make sure the reader understands and that um, there's no eye roll, rolling moments and move on to the next. But <laughs> that said, what, I mean, anybody who's followed my, my emails or followed the podcast from the beginning knows that I do have an interest in privacy and tech, how it relates to technology. And I am not smart. I'm I'm just smart enough to know that I'm dumb, and everything can kill me. That type of a thing. (laughs) Um, And so, but I'm fascinated by it, and and I'm particularly fascinated by how there seems to be a split between people who really care about such things and people who don't, and and people who like me are like, well, I'm screwed either way, so you know, I'll just do the best that I can. But in this story that I was writing. I wanted to include a a particular type of phone that I had learned about, which by the time the story ever gets to print, that phone company may be out of business. Who knows? That's one of the downsides of how long it takes to write fiction is today's, today's wonder is tomorrow's out of date thing. So there's this phone. It's a black phone. And I did as much research as I could online about it, but it's not a normal kind of phone and it's different i mean it's an android phone it runs off of you know the, the same platform but it operates differently because essentially it's four phones in one in that you can set up these spaces on the phone where they don't communicate with each other and where this really comes into play is with all of the apps that we download phones uh, phones run off of apps and the apps take an incredi- they're so invasive in that they are constantly s- sucking up the data of who else you're communicating, whether other apps are on the phone. And let's say, for example, you have a Facebook account that you use for work. And you don't want to commingle all your work contacts with all your personal life information. Well, you can't run two Facebook um, profiles on the same phone if you want to use the app. And if you did all those, like if you used a Facebook app, let's say for work on a phone that you're using for, um, you have all your personal contacts on Facebook is automatically sucking up all that data. And the next thing, you know, your work friends are being recommended that they might know somebody who is in your personal life. It just, it's, it's a big mess. And right now, the only way to avoid that is to have separate phones, or there are some phones on the market that allow you to have more than one. I think BlackBerry has something like that. But the the black phone allows for four. Hmm. And so it also, all of the software on the black phone runs off of uh, voice over internet protocol. It doesn't use cell towers. I mean, it does use them to get your data connections and stuff, but if you have a Wi-Fi connection, a secured Wi-Fi connection, you can be completely off the cell grid. And the cell grid is how phones can be pinpointed. If you know somebody's phone number and you have the right software, you can pinpoint them to an exact location without using GPS, without using any of those uh, other tools, just using cell phone location. There's a, there's a, Weaknesses in the protocols that are part of the cell phone network So all of this stuff has been very fascinating to me and that's what got me interested in the black phone But I realized I had a problem You can't just walk into a store and pick up a black phone and look at how it works And I needed to know what this thing felt like and what it looked like And it didn't mean that all of that was going to go into the story It just meant that when one of the characters did something It wasn't the wrong thing So I wrote the company and I was like, uh, this is who I am. And I'm having this little problem. And I was wondering if there's anyone that I could talk to or that could show me or whatever. And, uh, they wrote me back and they're like, yeah, there's this guy who like one of our executives, I don't remember. I don't know, remember his name, but one of our executives is really high, you know, C level executive lived in Dallas. And he, he's like, yeah, he'll meet with you. Just pick a place. And so I did, and I had a lovely hour and a half chat with him at Starbucks and, you know, just ran him through a list of all of my questions of, you know, why they do what they do in terms of the decisions that they've made with the phones. And one of the things I found fascinating was that this company focuses primarily on enterprise systems, um, government, uh, corporations, people who really need to keep their information secure, But they have not solved the problems of a protester in a foreign country going to a protest with that phone in his pocket and the authorities walking through the crowd with a stingray and sucking up all the data information of who's actually in the crowd. So on on one hand, they've solved huge security aspects, but it focuses primarily on business and government. And there's still this, this thing that needs to be solved for the little guys in dangerous situations. So I had to work around, all like knowing the flaws of the phone, how what it could do and what it couldn't do allowed me to write the story realistically and to work around its weaknesses for the sake of the story. So there's a long answer to that question
1: all right and I, i'm going to add to your answer since you used the term stingray you you had to have done some research for the vessel where there was a great deal of information about this stingray, at least I think it was the vessel, uh, about this stingray and what they did. And I'm reading this stuff going, that is amazing. That can't possibly be true. And so then I go out and start researching it and looking at all this stuff. And I'm like, wow, that's that's incredible. And you had done all this research and you knew all that stuff. And it's really cool. And you just threw that in like everyone knew what this stingray thing was. And maybe everyone does, but um, that's another result of you doing that kind of research.
0: And sometimes it's stuff that I learn in real life first, and then I find a way to include, I'm like, oh, Um, and because I have such an interest in, in these things, a lot of my random reading, I follow links online and, you know, there'll be some comment and I'll be like, well, what is that? And I'll go read about it. And so sometimes it's just this acquired knowledge. I am not an expert. I know just enough to be dangerous. Um, I don't really truly know how to protect myself. I couldn't walk anybody through what to do, but I know this stuff exists.
1: All right. We have a second question.
0: So this is more of a writer type question, and it's from longtime listener of the show, J.W. Benshuf. And we get asked, uh, okay, Your discussion this week got me thinking about story ideas. I'm finding it hard to write a story that is good beyond question, because it's out of my element, away from what I know. I have several great ideas that are in different genres, such as mystery, paranormal, psychological thriller and more. You and Steve talked about one of his, but how do you write one in a genre you don't know a lot about? So far, I have read several authors of that genre to learn about how stories are told. Is this the best way, or is there a better approach? Um, In my opinion, that is the best way. Uh, The thing with genre is that readers have a certain set of expectations. And if you write something that is romance, for example, which I'm sure is not what's being discussed here, and you miss the actual elements that the reader is looking for, they're going to be disappointed. And that's the last thing you want to do is disappoint your readers. And in, under each genre, there are also subgenres. And again, using romance as an example, there might be more erotic romance, there might be historical romance or whatnot. And if you say you're writing a historical romance, but don't include the elements that are required for it to actually be a historical romance, then The readers are like, what is this? And then you're going to lose them as an audience, and that's not what you want to do. So that's – I don't have a lot of experience in this, but that would be the way that I see it.
1: And I actually – I took a class on this once. It was a part of this larger class that I took, and I almost skipped over this particular module thinking this doesn't apply to me because I'm not going to write outside the genre that I normally – Uh, enjoy reading in Uh, but then I realized that in even inside of the genre that I like to read in there are so many subgenres that I probably do need to understand this but what I found fascinating was the advice they offered in the class if you for example there's this term in the indie writing community uh, right to market when you see a market that's really popular that's just you know really popping right now, and you just say to yourself, man, I wish I was writing in that particular genre. And so what this particular instructor's advice was to, uh, like JW said, go out and read some books and immerse yourself in the genre, but then to go down, uh, once once you have a sense of what it should be, then get some other books that are well-written, Are selling well and break them down, like literally in in the same genre and break them down. You know, how long are the chapters? You know, what what are the things that show up in every book? You use the term romance. If if you're going to write a romance, then there has to be a happy ending. If there's not, it's it's not a romance. It's something else. And it, it's the same in all of these different genres. You have to read enough to know what to expect, and then you have to read enough to be able to break down the books that that are doing well in the genre to identify where the different elements come in. Because it, 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 Taylor told me this a long time ago. You know, are you sure you want, to, you want to learn this writing thing? Because when you do, it takes a lot of the enjoyment out of reading, and you really love to read. And uh, to a certain extent, that's true, because I find myself reading and going, oh, that's interesting that they put that there. And it just kind of pulls you right out of the story when that happens. But that's really what you need to do. Once you get through the the part of reading enough to understand the genre, then it's breaking it down and understanding where things go, how they go in a particular genre. And you've got to be so darn precise – with the genre, the subgenre, and then even the subgenre of the subgenre
0: I want to tack on to that because I think like if I had heard that and I was an insp- aspiring writer, I would probably never have even gotten started because that's a whole heck of a lot of reading, and it's a whole heck of a lot of um, an- analysis, so I think everything you said is complete i agree with it completely i Also think that it's possible. Okay, so here's where I'm coming from with that. I didn't know anything when I started writing, Mm -hmm. but all I understood books to be were exciting because without knowing it, I was reading in the thriller genre or suspense. Um, they, They sometimes are interchangeable. And so because that's what I read, that's what I understood books to be. So, if someone like me who doesn't do well at always catching the, uh, sometimes I catch the nuance and skip the obvious. Sometimes I just plain all get terrified by having to get something so right that I'm like, I can't do it. I can't do it. Um, that for me, I would just read in that genre exclusively for a month or two and just absorb it. And then when I started writing, I would be trying to emulate what it was that I had experienced, not even in terms of words, but in terms of how it made me feel. Because the memories of emotion are so much stronger than the memories of logic, I guess you could say. So what I would set out to do is write a book that made me feel the same way writing one of those other books, reading one of those other books made me feel. It's the exact same thing that you were saying, Steve. It's just from the process of someone who would be freaked out by mm-hmm. having to do all of the analysis to get it right.
1: Yes, and, and that's, that's a really good point. I, I interviewed a woman named Annie Belay for the author biz uh, some time ago. And she writes sort of a genre mashup of paranormal fantasy and some other things, genres that I don't read, don't understand at all, but she had been writing in other genres, genres prior to that and having very limited success. And What she did that I found fascinating was to just sit down, and she took several weeks where she didn't write anything except a list of everything that she liked in the books that she liked reading. That's awesome. That's brilliant. And then she figured out how she could incorporate these books into an existing genre, and then she started writing. And she is killing it.
0: Yeah, that is – That is genius uh, and it's something that like genre for me is really frustrating because obviously you want to please your readers and but even the stuff that I write and Monroe does fall into the thriller genre but not always and so it's sort of on the fringes of that genre and other stuff that I've written it just it doesn't totally fit that niche and the problem you run into or I've run into in traditional publishing is it's all about marketing and positioning. And if someone reads the book and can't figure out how to position it in such a way as to get marketing departments, sales departments from other, who they're trying, like the booksellers or whatever, if they can't figure out how to position the book. They, they almost don't even want, want it because it's too much work. Uh, how do you explain something that doesn't have a comparison? That's why you always see on Mm -hmm. book jackets, this is like such-and-such with such-and-such. You know, so-and-so meets so-and-so. And it's because it's drawing quick pictures in a prospective buyer's mind of what they can hope to expect when they get into it. How do you do that with something that doesn't fit any of those things? Which is not to say that it can't be done. It's just harder. And... But but I don't I just want to tell stories. Mm-hmm. So that's just something to consider for authors who are trying to decide, do I write in a genre? Do I not write in a genre is what's your end goal here? Because do you want to make it harder for yourself or do you just want to write what you want to write? This woman who pulled all the elements that she loved and wrote stories around that so brilliant And if it's self-publishing, it's even more brilliant because then she can speak directly to readers without having to fit inside this box of XYZ. And for someone who's working within that box... You generally take one element of the story and say, yes, it's a mishmash of all these different genres, but you focus on sort of one of them and try and get it slotted into there, mm-hmm. which I guess is kind of what happened with the Monroe stories.
1: Now, one of the things that I've seen recently, and I think it's the whole right-to-market thing that's, that, that is so popular now, is I mean, the question, uh, one, of the, one of the possible genres, uh, whether well, they were mystery, paranormal, psychological thriller, and more— uh, I read primarily mysteries and thrillers and I've seen the paranormal is is kind of hot right now so I've seen people who are taking what I would consider to be traditional not traditional like a cozy mystery but you know traditionally written mysteries and throwing in a paranormal element and just speaking as a reader I hate it
0: I've I've heard similar
1: it's, it, those who love it are going to love it and
0: those who hate it are going to be so angry because you violated the rules. Yes, and and what's happening
1: with these with these authors is their books are selling horribly. I know one guy who wrote I mean I don't know him personally, but I read I read all twelve of his books because I enjoyed them and I ignored the paranormal element. If the paranormal element hadn't been there, the books would have been great and they would have done really well. But as it was Um, I think I reviewed four of the books, and on those four, there might have been one or two other reviews. They just did not do well at all. Uh, But, you know, they were entertaining stories. They were short, quick reads, and they were entertaining. If the paranormal bit hadn't been in there, I think the books would have done better. But it's it's the idea of just – I'm going to bolt on this popular genre to the genre I'm familiar with. I think that's a recipe for disaster.
0: I agree with you unless he somehow find like he would his mistake would be that he's looking at the thriller mystery audience if he bolted on the paranormal he should have been looking at the paranormal audience but then they'd be like this hardly had any paranormal stuff in there and they'd be disappointed too yeah it's a no-win situation yeah but some some uh genres do work really well together take westerns for example you can write a romance a western romance or you could write a paranormal ro- western uh but you would it would be a paranormal set in a western type style not the other way around so you you can mishmash genres but you have to know who your primary audience is and and what your readers expect from you and then you can, you can do, well, or you can just write what you want and what makes you happy. And if a lot of other people like it too, great. And if not, well, you wrote a book that you wanted to read. And that's just as well. You just have to know, you know, what is your end game here? What is it that you're after? And, and proceed accordingly.
1: That's a great question though. Thank you for that question. And thank you to the person who sent in the first question. Um, we probably want more questions, don't we?
0: Always want more questions. (laughs) (laughs) Questions are good here and also at Patreon. And what I've been doing at Patreon is answering by video um, so that it's a little bit more personal. It's a learning experience for me. Steve keeps telling me, you know, you're not teaching here, you're talking to friends. And I'm like, okay, okay, okay. So I'm hoping that over time they get more casual, more spontaneous, more relaxed, and more interactive in that sense. But um, the difference is Patreon, we've got video, we've got, uh, you know, comment like it's almost like each video has its own blog that you can work with and comment back and forth, interact with other readers, uh, listeners, watchers, whatever. And um,
1: (laughs) (laughs) all these different (sighs) platforms.
0: I know, I know, I know. But it's been it's been good and I'm really enjoying it over there and I'm hoping to to make it even better
1: and that is patreon.com slash taylor stevens we will have a link to that in the show notes at Taylorstevensshow.com. so if you have questions send them in or post them on patreon uh we will address them or taylor will address them depending on what platform you uh you, you want the uh, the questions addressed on or or maybe how much detail we need to go in go into for the answers taylor anything else before we wrap up this week
0: No, this has been fun. I love, guys, I love answering questions. It's so much easier than coming up with stuff, so send me more of them.
1: Thanks for listening.
0: See you guys next week.